never forget why you are the church. Be happy, Lord, say amen. Amen. If you would, please turn your Bible. Uh, just go ahead and get ready because it might take you a little second to find. Uh, but go to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. All right, that's in the Old Testament, by the way. That's why you probably haven't, don't recognize that. But the book of Jonah, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how God orchestrates his will in our life. And, and you might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is very simple. Two weeks ago, we set the table for uh, Great Commission Sunday, right? We wanted to make sure that every single person knew that we don't want to almost be a disciple, but we want to fully be a disciple. Uh, by the way, an almost disciple is a lost person. There, there is no in-between. There is no, well, I'm almost saved. That, no, no, no. You are either born again and forgiven and delivered, or you are condemned already. That's the truth of the matter of it. And if I did not love you, I would not tell you that. But again, we talked about the young ruler who was almost a disciple. Again, let me remind you, there is nothing, everyone say nothing, that this world can offer worth rejecting the invitation to follow Jesus. There's nothing. There's no riches. There's no possessions. There's no societal standing. There is no job. There is no occupation. There is no hobby, recreation. There, there is no amount of muscle mass. There is nothing that is worth rejecting following Christ. Last week, we looked at the Great Commission, and we're going to review that again in Matthew 28. I have it right here. It says this in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Church, we, you, I, have been sent to share the good news of the gospel through our testimony in Jesus and the equipping of the Holy Spirit, we are fully capable in being a successful soul winner. Fully capable. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about that you wanted to revive a church? Have you ever heard of revival? You ever heard of that? Hey, by the way, here's the thing. You can either get on in or it's going to be a long Sunday. Amen. amen. So if you're happy, tell your face and say amen. amen. All right, that's what I'm talking about. But we all want our church to be revived, right? We, me as the pastor, I look back and I see what God has done. And, and yes, God works every single day, every single second, every single minute. God is never not working. But man, I want that overabundance of his work on this church. I want to be able to walk in and just there's just something different that's going on here. I don't want it to be a typical church that you see in the Bible belt, the buckle, the Bible belt of America. I want to actually go in and experience Christ because I've been experiencing him all week. That's what I would like. Is that what you would like? But if you want to revive a church, it's very, it's very easy. We, we make revival so difficult. We try to bring in some of the best preachers and we try to bring in some, 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 some talent and all this and maybe we can stir up the souls here. No, 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 no. If you want to revive a church, 
you get that church culture shifted to soul winning. The fastest way you can revive a church is to see a soul won for Christ. Our greatest movement of growth here at Cedar Grove uh, in numbers, our greatest movement of growth, true growth, has been at the same time that we have been expecting to see the lost saved and we were seeing it. Every time we filled this worship center, we knew God could do it. Where has that excitement and that anticipation been? Where's it been? Where's it at? Let's go back to that. Amen, church? So how did God orchestrate his will? Because that was a, you know, really long uh, answer to that. And I didn't even answer it. Well, for as long or even longer that we have been planning the Great Commission Sunday and our TrueLife.org partnership, uh, I've been praying and pondering on what I was going to preach next. Now, I am a book study kind of guy. In other words, I like to take a book of the Bible, and I like to take my time with it. Does that make sense? We were in 1 Corinthians for like 7.3 years. You know what I mean? It was like, it was a long time. But I, that's, just, that's just how, that's how I study God's Word, right? I study it slow. I don't, there's certain books that I read as a whole and, and get, a, get a whole picture on it and move on with my day. But, man, I like to dig deep into God's Word, and you should as well. But I was thinking, man, you know, I'm one of these preachers that I, I didn't even know it, but I found myself trying to stay away from the Old Testament stuff. I was like, man, some of that stuff's tough, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we've done Genesis, and we've done a few other things, but I, I'd never done a book study outside of Genesis in, in the uh, Old Testament. So I just prayed, God, what would you have me preach? What would you have me preach? And man, the book of Jonah just kept on popping up in my mind. Amen. Probably one of the most favorite stories in all the Bible overall, right? Jonah and the big whale, the great fish, right, swallowed up. And uh, what an incredible story. I mean, you know, many of you parents that uh, you probably have uh, uh, put your children to sleep with this story. And if you've ever sailed and on the sea and you think of Jonah, you're probably scared. It probably keeps you awake on the sea. But it's a very dynamic, very, uh, very good account in God's word, of course. Now, what does this have to do with being a soul winner? Because that's, that's really why God put this on my heart. That's what I'm talking about. He's orchestrating what he'll have us do, what he'll have us learn. Well, I want you to think about something, and that's what we're going to be answering today. But this whole book shows God's love for the lost. Of course, we're going to talk about Nineveh, a very wicked city, yet God sent Jonah to that wicked city. Why? To tell them to repent and to warn them of the judgment if they don't. Church, that's soul winning. So we're going to look at this. The theme of this book study is as follows. The danger of saying no to God. The danger of saying no to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, God, for this church. I thank you for your word, most importantly. God, I thank you that you do love us. And God, I ask you that as I preach this uh, book and just this portion that we'll be talking about this morning, God, I pray that clarity is had. God, I pray if there's confusion that we uh, understand that you are not the author of confusion. But God, you give clarity. So Lord, I pray that those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And Father, we love you and we rejoice always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was Jonah's disobedience that found him in the belly of the whale. Now, granted, uh, we'll get to the whole story. and, And I just told you, when we do book studies... It's a long process, so we're going to get there, but I want us to learn the little things. 
that's what we're going to go in and focus on today. We're going to focus on his disobedience today. But first, is this story even real? It, it seems kind of absurd. I don't know about you, but a man getting swallowed up by a fish and uh, being in the belly of that fish for three days and then just being spit up by that fish and just walking away, that, that, doesn't, that seems a little bit absurd. <laughs> that seems kind of out of the ordinary, which it was, but could this actually be a real story? Well, first off, let me just preface this by saying, uh, yes. <laughs> God, is big. God is the one who created and we'll get there when we get we'll get there when we talk about the fish. And I was doing some studying this week, and as a matter of fact, the miracle is not him being swallowed by a fish hole. That's not the miracle. That can actually happen. Right? Now, maybe not to all of us, but I don't know how big Jonah was, but you know, the fish could swallow him whole. That's not the miracle. There's actual fish or whales that could do that. The miracle is that he stayed alive for three days. So, but anyway, I just want to kind of preface that. We'll get to that more in detail uh, in the next coming weeks. But many believe this is not historical, but rather it's more of an allegorical story. It's, it's more allegory. In other words, it's more of a story of symbolism. All right, I know that, that word, you probably think, what is allegory, you know? That's just a symbolic story. For example, those who hold to this uh, perspective believe that Jonah's disobedience represents Israel. The sea represents the Gentiles, and the great fish is Babylon. And the time Jonah spent in the fish is Babylon's reign and the captivity of the Jews. Now, that's a lot right there. For me, I'll just be honest with you. I just think that Jonah got swallowed up by a fish. You know what I'm saying? But as interesting as that is, there is clear evidence that Jonah was an actual prophet. Look right here in 2 Kings. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. That was smooth. Did everyone just see that just then? I bet y'all can't do that. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and reigned 40 and one years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath, unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer. <laughs> I don't know if that says hefer. I just, that just came out of my mouth. Gath, yeah, hefer. All right, anyway, so we cannot dispute Jonah's evidence as a prophet of the Lord. He was a real man. As a matter of fact, he is one of the four prophets whose ministries are referred to by Christ. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 12. Look at this. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment, but this generation, uh, with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, who is Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. You can also find that in Luke eleven thirty-two. 32. But the other three that he mentions, Christ mentions, is Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah. I don't know about you. I don't know how much you studied the Old Testament, but that's some pretty good company to be mentioned in. Amen? So how did Jonah disobey? Well, that's what we're going to break down this morning. It's going to be a very simple message, uh, but it's going to be a very direct message. As a matter of fact, we see that his disobedience was direct. <laughs> Look at verse 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God was very clear with Jonah. He was to arise. That means literally to get up and go to Nineveh. Why? To cry against it. See, Nineveh, like we talked about, was a very wicked city. The people there were greatly sinful and pagan. Uh, Nineveh was actually built by, if you recognize this name in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11, Nineveh was built by Nimrod, who was someone who rejected God. They were a it was a huge city, and even after this became a capital of the Assyrian Empire. So let's look why God was sending Jonah once again. If you look at verse 2, it says this, For their wickedness is come up before me. See, what that means is, that means they were persistent in their sin. As a matter of fact, the, the, the book right after this, the prophet Nahum, in, in his entire book is written against Nineveh and declaring inevitable judgment. Throughout Nahum, he writes of their atrocities and violence they displayed. They were so known for the violence and the gory ways they would treat their prisoners of war. In other words, they didn't care nothing about life at all. They were very self-feeding. They were very, uh, they wanted to satisfy the flesh. Notice here, uh, I don't know about you, but our society is not much better than Nineveh. See, our society, I know what the Supreme Court has done, and, I, and I'm, this is not a political statement. This is just a biblical statement. But there are still many, many people who don't care about human life in our nation. Uh, there are people that don't care about what God said. They're, they're wicked. They're, they're, they're pagan. See, we think that paganism is something of, of a long time ago. We think, oh, paganism is in a foreign country. Paganism and heathenism, that, that is, that's not in America. We're a first world country. Let me explain something to you. There's a bunch of pagans in America. See, all you had to do to be a pagan was to worship a false god. If there's anything our, our, our nation does, it is worship false idols. But they were persistent. They had temples to many false gods. They worshiped Ishtar, a goddess of love and war. And God told Jonah, go and preach to them. Now, we're going to find out, and, and Jonah is such a small book, and it's such a short story that I'm probably going to hit some things before I hit, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to get there, and then I'm going to get there again, right? Because it's just in my brain. But notice that it wasn't, hey, Jonah, talk about the wickedness of Nineveh. You know why? Because Jonah probably already did that. You know what the church is really good at? Talking about the wickedness of those that don't go to church. You understand what I'm saying? Is anyone with me this morning? Say Amen. We are real good at pointing our little Baptist finger at the people down that and say, oh, 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 they're lost or they're sinful or they're persistent or they're pagan or they're this or they're idol worshipers. We'll talk about them all day long. Oh, that person that I work with, he ain't nothing but a heathen. Man, he's just going to die and go to hell. You know what's sad about that? That could very well be true. But see, God has not called Jonah just to talk about him. God has not called Jonah to get somebody else to go to him. God says, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh and warn them of the coming judgment. <laughs> He's telling us today, get up 
and warn the people that you are around the coming judgment. You say, well, that's not the good news of the gospel. Hold on. Hold up. Why is the gospel such good news? Because it delivers us from the wrath to come. You understand what I'm saying here? So he tells them. He's very direct, right? He's very direct. He's very clear. It was a direct command. By the way, you know what we don't find in the Bible, but we find in the church today? God confusing those he calls out. I've I've talked to many people uh, in in ministry over the years, and uh, one thing that I always find that people say is, I just don't know, or I'm just confused, or I'm this, or I'm that, or whatever it is. I want you to know the disciples knew exactly what Jesus invited them to. They may have not known the details, but they did know very clearly that Jesus told them, drop what you're doing and follow me. I'm going to take you a little bit further. There, there, there wasn't, I could just see Peter sitting in the boat and just kind of casting as, well, hold on, hold on, Look, just, just text me later, we'll talk about that. Hey, you know what, just, we'll, we'll, next Sunday we'll talk or, or you know, I, let, let, here, let me just pray about that, Jesus. You ever said that? No, 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 you know what they did? Jesus had a direct command, follow me. You know what they did? They followed him. How about Paul? The command and direction God gave was clear, right? As a matter of fact, he gave clear direction even after blinding them. I mean, Paul was legit, couldn't see, but yet he knew exactly what God wanted from him. The prophets of the Old Testament knew exactly what they were to do, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of evil kings and wicked rulers. They knew exactly what to do. But yet we have turned that around today. We get so confused about what God desires from us And for many, the result of that confusion is very simple. We don't do anything. Let me tell you something. God has not called you to a a lifestyle of just doing for you. God has not called you as a lifestyle of just building a bank account. God has not called you to a lifestyle of getting all the things that you desire in life. God has not called you to a lifestyle that matches almost point for point the world's lifestyle. God has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen, I, I don't, have you ever stubbed your toe? Have you ever stubbed your toe? Y'all act like y'all, all y'all just porn or something? My goodness. I'm sorry. Got a little bit out of hand there. But when I say things that I know you did, just agree with me, okay? So what happens? Why do you stub your toe most of the time? If you're like me, I get thirsty at night. Don't, don't diagnose me or anything. I just, I just want to drink at night. You know what I'm saying? I want some water. It used to be sweet tea. Now, now I'm doing this little, huh, listen, now I'm doing this little like 75-day like, uh, soft. You ever heard of that? Uh, it's actually 75-day hard, so we have to do like a diet and all that stuff. I'm just doing it kind of like a soft little diet. I'm just drinking uh, no sugary drinks and stuff like that. But before that, man, I, I would down some tea at nighttime. You know what I'm saying? Anyone been there? I had never seen a Milo sweet tea look so good than about 2 a.m. I mean, you, you start talking to it. You're like, listen here, Milo. <laughs> I mean, it's serious, right? But listen, hey, so, so I would get up, right? And it'd be dark. And, 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 and especially uh, uh, when we, we used to live in a, a, uh, a Paul's garage when we first got married. And, and man, it, it would be just so dark in that room. And, man, I'd, 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 I'd walk around, and obviously I couldn't see. And then I'd, I'd do the little, everyone knows that sound, right? Does anyone know the sound that comes after that? Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. We in church. 
<laughs> All right, listen. But you know what's funny? I can prevent that by turning on the light. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm about, I'm about to alliterate this illustration because I like it. You turn on the light and you can see clearly. I'm not confused with the refrigerators anymore. I have a mission in my mind. It's going to get some Milo's sweet tea. So I turn the light on and I can clearly go to that mission. Not only that, but you know why I don't turn the light on so much? Because I got somebody sleeping in the dark. That would be Heather, in case you're all wondering. And listen, and, and so when, if I turn the light on, is everyone with me? If I turn the light on, what would that do to Heather? That would offend her. Why? Because she's sleeping. So when the light gets turned on, what does she do? She says, Jake, turn that light back off. Are you dumb or something? That's word for word. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Listen, you know why we don't walk in the light as we should? First off, we're scared to offend people. We have a society that, that we are called out to go and warn. We are called out to go and, and tell them, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because Jesus, Jesus is real. He did come to this earth. He did die on the cross. He did. Uh, he, he was resurrected. He is coming back to get us. And the time is drawing nigh. You need Jesus. Would you give your life to him? But you know what that is? That's offensive to those that are sleeping in the dark. So what do we do? We kind of stay half in the dark, half in the light. And what that does is that confuses things. So now we don't know, should I go talk to him? Should I do this? Should I surrender to this? Should I, should I serve here? Should I? No, 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 no. Because you've confused. You blurred the line of light and darkness. God was direct with Jonah. Get up and go to Nineveh to cry out against it. Warn them of their sin. Tell them about God. Well, God, God might have been clear with, with Jonah, but he hasn't been clear with me. Yes, he has. Our problem is that we often... We get direct uh, commands, but then we give direct disobedience. Well, God, I'm going to serve you wherever you have me go except there. God, I'll volunteer the church anywhere except there. God, I will, listen, I will read except for that time of the day. God, I'll do anything you want, just not this, this, or that. Think about soul winning. Think about what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. Preach the word. That word preach, by the way, is that same word, caruso, meaning just to proclaim boldly the gospel, the good news. I told Axel before I baptized him that he was helping me preach this morning. You say, what are you talking about? Axel, seven years old? No, 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 no. He was helping me preach because what he did in obedience to the Lord after salvation was to show you that he was once dead in his trespassing sin, but now he's been made alive in Christ. Axel, little seven-year-old Axel, preached the word this morning. That's pretty good right there. That gets me excited. You should get excited too. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Guys, sometimes we have to allow God's word just to simply be offensive. Not, not mean, not, not without compassion, not, not just to point out sin, just to ruin their reputation. But understanding when they reject Christ and they die, they go to hell. And we don't want that. Again, that word preach is caruso, to publicly proclaim God's word. Well, I just don't know. Yes, you do. Just like Jonah, our, our disobedience is so often direct. 
Now, that's just the beginning of his disobedience. We also see that his disobedience was deliberate. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up. Now, if you just simply look at that and cover the word flee, you're thinking, man, this dude, he's getting up and going to Nineveh. Think about it. I mean, God said, get up, go to Nineveh. Cry out against them, for their wickedness has, has, come up, has come up to me. And then all of a sudden, Nineveh's like, all right, I'm going to get up and go. No, no, that's not what happened, though, is it? See, his disobedience was deliberate. Look, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the, mem- from the presence of the Lord. Jonah got up. But it was not to go to Nineveh. The Bible tells us that he fleed to Tarshish, which meaning Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Where he was fleeing to was the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. Listen to me. Partial disobedience is full disobedience. See, he was partially obedient. He got up. But he went the other way. He was truly fleeing. As a matter of fact, Joppa, where he got on the ship, was about 2,500 miles from Tarshish. In other words, he was wanting to go as far away as possible from God's call in his life. Now, let's state the obvious. How does one flee from the presence of the Lord? Because God is omnipresent, right? Absolutely. Uh, He's everywhere. You can't hide from God. Right. It's like sometimes we as children try to hide from God and it's about as effective as river trying to hide from me. Have you ever had a young kid try to hide from you in the house? Listen, every time I come home, she doesn't do it as often. She's like growing up. I'm sorry. That kind of hurt me. She used to do this when she was a little bit younger, but she don't. I just realized she hasn't done this in a long time, but she used to go and I would come out and say, where is river? And look, she'd go like this. She'd be laying on the couch, you know. She'd take a pillow. And I, and I, would, act, I would just go with it. Where's River? And I'm sitting there looking at her, her little toes, you know what I'm saying? And then I would get closer, and then she'd realize I was closer to her, and she would go like, boo, here I am, right? And listen, she wasn't high. I could see her. That, that, that's what we do sometimes. We try to take that, that superficial spiritual pillow and put it over our face and, and act like God can't see us. We try to lead the church and act like God can't see us. We try to have our sin, our pet sin, in the darkness of our life, but yet, oh, God can't see that. No, he absolutely can. You cannot run or flee from the presence of the Lord. David beautifully rejects this idea in Psalm 139. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. No one can physically flee from God's presence. He is omnipresent. He is outside of our idea of being present. I don't understand how the same God we're worshiping today is here, is also over across town. I I don't, I, I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that that church that was built in El Plan, Honduras, is worshiping the same God, and he is there just like he is here. Jonah knew this, by the way. See, what Jonah was doing was fleeing from his calling as a prophet. As a spokesperson of God, he was fleeing. That phrase in verse 3, from the presence, means face. 
See, uh, when, we, when we live face-to-face with Jesus, it's not that we're seeing him physically. But what that actually means is that we are living within an intimate relationship with our Savior. That means that we communicate with him. That means that we're close with him. That means that we lean upon him. That means that we cast our burdens upon him. We are close with Jesus. See, a prophet would be close to Christ. They'd be close to God. Why? Because in that time, what the prophet spoke according to the Lord was the word of God. Look in verse 1 again. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, he's telling him with the authority of God what he is to do. He was fleeing from that call. See, Jonah was turning his back on God. He was no longer, he no longer wanted the ministry God put him in. This was a deliberate turn from the face of God. The most tragic thing a believer can do is turn from the face of God. And so often with church hurt or or, or sin in our life or whatever it is, the, the first person that we flee from is the only one who can fix it. Could you imagine having a vehicle Getting to the mechanic, just to, maybe you're close to your mechanic and you're going to, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I haven't seen him in a long time. It's pretty good. I, I, you know, that's a good thing, but I'm going to go talk to my buddy, right? Maybe you, whatever it is. You just know him. You're going to go talk to him. And all of a sudden you roll into that parking lot and your car breaks down. Now, what would you do? To me, I'd say, well, praise the Lord. If my car's going to break down, it's a pretty good place to break down. Hey, dude, my car's broken down. Can you fix it? As a matter of fact, I was just coming over here to take you to lunch. You know, maybe can you give me a little bit? But how silly would it be that when something was broken on your car, you get back in the car, you look at that mechanic and say, you know what, hey, I'm not going to bother you with this. And you just drive off, everything just kind of doing this, and you try to get home. You try to live life with that broken car. No, no, no. That's what people do with the church. See, with their sin, with their rebellion, with their disobedience, they will leave the face of the one who can do what they need. And they say, well, you know, I'm closer with the God. I've heard people say all the time, I'm closer with God than I've ever been. You know, so often, that's a lie. You're hurting. You're struggling. And you know what? That's okay, but it's not okay to know it and not do anything about it. Are you with me this morning? And unfortunately, we see it all the time. To run away from the calling on on your life, to reject the will of God, someone who once served, loved the fellowship among the believers, worshiped, prayed, lived their life intentionally for Christ, had the heart of a soul winner, all of a sudden they are gone. Why? Because they flee from God's call in their life of obedience. They become what we call backslidden. And their first action is to get as far away as possible. Again, maybe not physically because God is everywhere, but Jonah was spiritually, relationally, and emotionally fleeing from God. I have had the broken experience. I've been broken with the experience of uh, knowing people are running away from God. And in the church, we do a bad job of just letting them run. Does that make any sense? We, we know that they should be here. We know that they should, they have a call in their life. They, we know that they're supposed to serve and obey and worship and pray and, and just be a part of this. But yet we see them in a distance running and we just kind of say, okay, bye. 
But I want you to know I've had the, the tragic experience of running into some of these people, maybe in town or at a store, at a mall or a restaurant, and it's almost like you can't even recognize them. You say, well, why? Because their joy is gone. Their joy needs to be restored. I'm here to tell you right now that we're going to find that Jonah, as long as he was running, was miserable. And as a, as a matter of fact, his disobedience went all the way to the end of the story. My warning for you today is this. If you're living in disobedience, if you're living in this confusion of what you're supposed to do, what has happened, obviously, is you blurred the lines. You started listening to the world and not the creator. You started listening to people that don't actually truly care about you or love you, can do nothing for anything for you, and you turn from the face of the one who's created you and called you. Deep down, this is all about Jonah not getting his way. We'll find later that he wanted the city of Nineveh to perish. He said, why are you going to save them? They're wicked. They're sinful. Destroy them. So the last thing he was going to do was warn them. His disobedience was deliberate. Are you fleeing from the face of God? Are you closer now to God than you were yesterday? Are you doing what he has told you to do or are you backslidden and living in disobedience? We are going to find out next week just how dangerous Jonah's disobedience was, but I'll give you a little piece of next week just so you can kind of know because you'll maybe forget by the time we get there, but uh, his direct disobedience, his deliberate disobedience affected everyone around him. It became dangerous for everyone around him. So what are you running from? What are you refusing to do? Jonah had the authority of God behind him, yet he deliberately fled from his call. This morning, don't act confused. When, we, when we're going to go into a response time, this is not a time to just be like, I just don't know. Maybe you're, one that you're running from the face of God by running from the bride of Christ. You know the Bible says don't forsake the assembly. That doesn't mean don't go on vacation. That doesn't mean don't every now and again. What that means is deliberately, actively forsake the assembly. Hey, listen. Hey, quit running. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you're living in unforgiveness or you're living in whatever sin and that's keeping you from serving God the way you should. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to have to start doing it because here's the thing. Maybe you're here and God is calling you to something greater. God is calling you to something different. God is calling you to do something for him, an extra step in faith. God's not going to confuse you if he wants you to do something. That's what we earthly parents do a lot to our kids. We give them mixed signals. God doesn't do that to us. So this morning, are you running? Are you living in partial obedience, which is full disobedience? Whatever it is, I want you to know, just like Jonah, God gives a direct command. So with head bowed, eyes closed, all this place.